Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me this evening, we welcome back our friend, uh, newly appointed to PC Gamer, Gamer's uh, Cardboard Division, John Bolding. Sensors Online. We also welcome back game designer David Heron. Um, from this point on, could you please refer to me as Queen Bee? Okay, a little little gossip girl reference there. I like it. I didn't know you were I didn't know that was your uh that was your thing, David, but uh, you know, I'm I'm with you there. Yeah, come on. If you can come up with a better call sign, I'd like to hear it. <laughs> uh and finally, we welcome Games Beats Cormadira Bureau Chief, Rowan Kaiser. <laughs> Hello. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about Hairbrained Schemes Battletech, the new turn-based tactics game uh, based on one of my favorite franchises, and I guess we'd say one of my favorite board games, though my feelings about the original have become more complicated with time. Uh, before we dig into this new game, David, you, you mentioned uh, when, when, you, when you called me begging to be on the show... Uh, you said like this is one of your favorites, and that this entire franchise is like some of the first nerdy shit you ever you ever got into. Uh, why don't you give me a little background on your love of BattleTech and uh, what expectations and apprehensions you brought with you into this game? So in in grade five, I was in a I went I went to a new school and I was in a five six split, and on Fridays or something like that, we had independent time. And some of the older boys were like pouring over these books. I went to investigate and it turned out they're playing Battletech. And that was sort of my introduction. And like, I'd never seen like, this was before Magic of the Gathering. This would have been like 19, how old are you in grade five? You're like eight, seven or eight or something like that. So I would have, it would have been like 88, 89. So it would have just have come out. And um, yeah, it was the, it was the thing that brought me into comic book slash gaming stores uh, before before Warhammer, before Magic the Gathering sort of became my life. Battletech was what I played. Um, that's what sort of formed my longest lasting friendships uh, with, with, the, with, the, with the, the kids that played that and their older brothers. And so that was sort of my, um, uh, sort of the, the, the birth of my like, long-term adolescence you know <laughs> the one the never-ending collection of toys and fascination with robots we did everything yeah like we we, we played it all we played aeros aerotech battletech we played the rpg we had long-lasting campaigns we built terrain painted miniatures it was awesome so at some point you got out of battletech mm -hmm. and i'm curious what sort of drove you away from the franchise and whether you were worried any some of the some of those elements might make their way into this new adaptation well i don't think it's a good game like yeah. I, I think i think that's ultimately like like what happened is 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 it was um you know th there's a lot of fun to be had right there's a lot of like min maxing and like tech these like cool books you know these the technical readout series would come out and it would be it was this like this weird long is the same size as like the driving manual books. These like long, weird, long books that just had like, you know, there were like 150 pages of just different mechs and they'd come out every once in a while. And there was this like huge back history. And so it was, it was just something to sort of dive into. But I think as we played more and more games and started expanding, like there were just games that were like, uh, 
the complexity was put into, I think, more interesting places. Like building Warhammer armies was way more interesting. A game of Necromunda was a much better sort of like small, small scale tactical slash RPG game. Like if you were going to play Battletech and you were going to like, you know, create things. And so to make Battletech actually interesting as we, as we grew up, we had to sort of like break it and like continue to sort of like customize it and try to come up and try to make it meaningful. And then at some point it just stopped and, and, and it stopped being the thing that, that was interesting to us. And so when, when, when this came out and, and, and also like, but, but as that happened, that was right when the mech warrior games really took off. Mm -hmm. Like mech warrior one wasn't that it wasn't very good. MechWarrior you know, One was kind of broken, deeply like, unmemorable. It was, it, 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 and it also just was. It was, it was, it was. It didn't work very well because mechs can't look down, so you could just like run a mech at a. You could run your little locust at a battlemaster's legs, and the and they could never target you, or an atlas, and it could never target you. So like it was a broken game. But MechWarrior Two, Three, Four, Mercenaries, like these these games, I think sort of like that gave us our mech fill. Um, so we moved out of the tactical game. And and as I recall, Mech Commander wasn't that interesting. It was also real time, which was kind of uh, kind of iffy. So my concerns of this were like, mm, maybe the game's not going to be that interesting. But boy, is it just hitting like my nostalgia on like it. You know, I, I, I love this thing dearly. John, um, did you play much of the OG Battletech uh, back in the day in your in your board gaming travels? So I, I have to, this is, I think, the part where we, we all realize how much younger I am than the rest of the 3MA crew, because my my first Battletech experience would have been when I was, like, 11 years old and MechWarrior 4 Vengeance came out um, and came with my family's first personal computer. Wait, John, how, how old are you? I'm 29. Okay. That's not how I thought that was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you ever check said, out the original stuff? Yeah, so I loved the robots so much, right, that, like, I went to my local game store and I was like, hey, you know, I've got this cool Warhammer stuff, but give me some of these robots. And they were like, sorry, no one's played with the robots in years, man. Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> and so my first Battletech experiences were actually as an adult, right? They were going to Gen Con and seeing the more recent iterations of the system, like Alpha Strike, that are a little more fast playing, a little more streamlined. Um, a little more interesting to build armies with. Um, so I probably have relatively positive mechanical experiences with Battletech on the tabletop compared to a lot of people who used to play in the 90s. Rowan, I'm, I'm curious because I some like sometimes I think I've mapped the extent of your nerdery, but then it turns out there was like a little outpost somewhere else that I'm that I'm not expecting. Uh, did you get into this bullshit i mean for to be fair it is game of thrones in space so i just assume that you've been covering this beat for ages no i i all new to me this this is my first anything with it other than like seeing the ads for mech warrior 2 and reviews and stuff saying that this game is great and like i i never actually got to that one it was a it ended up being a major gap of for uh relative to how many other great 90s games i played so yeah this yeah. is this is all new to me. I'm coming at it from the sort of this is the next 
incarnation of tactical management games of the XCOM and Darkest Dungeon style, but nothing on a board game or no nostalgia. So I, I get to be the non-expert voice here. You're the control group uh, <laughs> in, in, in some ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, Battletech for me, and we did a show on Battletech, and it's sort of winding history through uh, different versions and different statuses of ip rights uh we did we did show on this years ago uh you know a few hundred episodes ago in in three moves ahead history uh, i think we were talking a little bit about the 25th anniversary reissue uh that catalyst games put out which was a gorgeous edition of the original BattleTech board game and i loved that board game a lot like my best friend and i in high school like played it like not quite obsessively because every once in a while we had to take a break to go play mech warrior 4 on his land um so <laughs> we just sort of bounced between like the tabletop and uh the, the mech warrior games and in my in my memory i remembered it as being really fun and cool and fast playing because i didn't internalize basically all the combat resolution tables and all the values and when i went back and i played it basically after i got my uh, that that 25th anniversary edition, and I tried to get somebody else, a friend of mine who is no stranger to lots of crunchy, intense board games. I tried to get him into it, and it was crushing watching how poorly a lot of that board game had aged, uh, and how like deeply off-putting. And just administration and numbers heavy and f fussy and fiddly, uh, the board game was by today's standards. Even even modern war games don't really uh, operate remotely like BattleTech does uh, anymore. BattleTech is very much of that that era of um, what is sometimes I think unkindly called like Ameritrash uh, war gaming, but it does sort of hail from this era where. There was no problem you couldn't solve with a new combat resolution table and 2D6. Like, everything <laughs> could be mapped uh, into into those sorts of mechanics. Um, and so I think my hesitation and concern around the battle this, this Battletech adaptation was basically that, to me, I didn't see how you could get what was cool about Battletech, really, what, what resonated with me about that board game and about that universe without having a lot of crunchy, fiddly nonsense uh, that would probably be alienating and fussy to play uh, compared to, say, you know, how, how smooth and fast-playing, like, XCOM is, uh, for instance. Rowan, I am curious, as somebody who's coming to this with just fresh eyes, do you think, like, what do you make of Battletech? Do you think it succeeds at evoking something unique and special uh, without bogging down? I, I remember there was a line in your review that makes a lot more sense now, where you said that uh, this was a fast-paced tactical game, and like, <laughs> oh god, relative to uh, you know the other the other computer games in the in the genre, uh, this is a really slow-paced one in a lot of ways that, that are both good and bad. Like the. But, the dominant feeling I get from this is that it is it is built around like ponderousness and uh but knowing that hearing you talk about how fiddly the board game is now considering this to be fast makes sense. But compared to XCOM it does feel slower and like this is 
in some ways a good thing because um, what I have been looking for from these uh, tactical management games is less, I don't know, you know, random burst nonsense and more of what you described as, you know, the war of attrition. Uh, something where you know you're going to take damage and you know you're going to inflict damage and it's going to be about surviving that and managing that. And that's part of why I love Darkest Dungeon, um, although it has its issues in that respect as well. But it, it comes across as this, this game of um, not hit or miss, but working within you know, a certain set of margins that you can manipulate in order to do better hits and fewer misses. And uh, that's pretty much exactly what I wanted out of the genre. So I have been, like, all in on this. Uh, yeah, I am curious. Um, like, so what is an example? You, you mentioned random burst nonsense, and, I, and I'm just a little... Like, I think I know what you mean, but I'd like you to sort of unpack a little bit. What's What's the sort of mechanical effect you're describing there that other games are leaning heavily on Battletech is not. Um, so XCOM 2 is particularly bad at this. Uh, like, you have a squatty who goes one square too far, an enemy squad appears, and they have two snipers, and they take him out over on the next turn. Now you only have, you know, four squad members instead of five squad members to do a difficult mission, and slowly, like, that just turns into everything collapsing because you went one square too far and the enemy's got one headshot or one crit or whatever uh, that instantly kills that character. And that's not a thing that's going to happen in Battletech except in uh, extreme situations. Um, but it's a thing that really bugs me about XCOM because you just... It feels like it's just luck of the draw whether a character lives or dies, when you, especially at higher difficulties, which I prefer playing on. Yeah, I think that's a really astute observation on Ruin's part. Um, the death spiral in XCOM comes in very sudden fits and starts, whereas in Battletech it's sort of a slow, steady, you're getting whittled down over time, you're getting hammered and hammered and hammered, and then finally a mech goes down. And in both games you start the beginning of a mission as tough as you'll ever be and you lose capability over time, but in Battletech it's like, okay, that mech lost an arm, it lost a leg, okay, it's going to go down. Whereas in XCOM it's like, one turn someone is at full health, and the next turn they're fucking dead. Yeah, and what I think what this game does well is that even when you're being whittled down, you're also whittling the enemies down. So, like, the very best missions are the ones that end up with, like, three mechs in a circle punching each other with no ammo left <laughs> in, like, some shitty muddy pool. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun to, like, feel like you have gotten to the point where it's this last gasp punch to take someone's legs out it's good stuff did you just admit a fondness for mech-based mud wrestling yes that little pool on the smithen mission uh <laughs> you guys know what i'm talking about now the, like, the worst uh, part is i know exactly what pool you're talking about smithen, yeah smithen can go to hell yeah <laughs> Uh, that's 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 interesting because because I I often hear people talk about um, XCOM as like this like slugfest of back and forth, um, but I, I maybe it's maybe it's because of the, my experience in the with with the board game, but that that isn't how I play. Rob, is that how you coming from the from the, the board game? Is that how you play? Uh, you mean the sort of 
mechs standing like, in a circle punching the shit out of each other? Yeah, or 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 like like I very much am playing for the the hitting the hitting the the head or the going for the crits, going for like these knockout shots, like like waiting and waiting and waiting and and maneuvering to the point where now everyone can alpha strike and destroy this mech in one turn. Like I don't I don't play this 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 each taking turn slugging it out. Interesting. Game. I definitely um so my play is evolving a little bit for sure. Uh but yeah what I am doing by and large is um I am I am just playing I'm generally playing the percentages. Like I have a primary target. Like I have a mech that is sort of first in priority list of things we need to bring down. And if anybody has mm-hmm. a reasonable shot on it, that's the mech we are targeting. Uh but yeah, in general, what that, that equates to a lot of times is keeping everybody... Mo- like, something I'm really finding critical at this point is uh, the fact that you your mechs, depending on how they move and how far they move, develop evasion points. And mm-hmm. because I'm running a business here uh, and trying to get out of missions with as light a butcher's bill as possible. Uh, sort of my first priority is what moves are going to make my mechs the most evasive and give them, uh, give enemies targeting them penalties to hit. Uh, mm-hmm. What moves are going to give me the most evasion points possible while also putting me in a decent position to keep chipping down uh, whatever the primary target is. Uh, but a lot of times that still means that people are getting the crap knocked out of them. Like at some point a heavy needs to move in and sell itself out for the team uh, because Mm -hmm. it's got the hit points to spare and it can get in there and uh, that'll take the pressure off sort of the, uh, you know, skirmishers that are circling around. So yeah, like I'm having like really clean battles are definitely being done in this kind of surgical way, though I'm not doing called shots very often. Um, unless I've got really good percentages. Uh, in general, what I'm doing is I'm approaching it a little more like a boxing match where it's like, okay, we're going to keep working that left side. We're just going to take the arm out. We're going to take that torso out and just work them. Uh, so, yeah, that's how I'm playing it. I, I So one of the key differences um, in this game than from the tabletop game is the indirect fire. So in the tabletop game, indirect fire was possible, but only if you first hit it with a narc beacon. So that was a special uh, uh, weapon that you could put on some sort of mechs. And basically you would fire this thing, it would hit this thing, and then you could do indirect fire. Um, so like th- that's a big, that's a big shift. And I've just been between that and uh, the other thing is the, 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 the board game didn't have like magic powers. And in this game, your, your, your mech warriors get magic powers. And one of them is they're not magic. They're not like actual magic. I'm not entirely too sure what they are because some of them don't really make fictional sense. Like one of, one of them can make you take less heat, which is weird. But one of them is just like a sensor lock, which again was used to be a piece of equipment. This isn't. And so, I think up until I was really dealing with assault mechs, like right through up until about the the seventy ton, sixty ton, like you, it was really easy to just like ping someone and then just LRM the shit out of them. And I got some some like special LRMs early on. Um, also, not a thing in the board game. Uh, weapons can have like 
special technology that gives them bonuses. Like they're basically like magic items in Dungeons and Dragons. So you can get like an LRM 20 that does extra points of damage and knocks things further or does, you know, that sort of scatters less. And so that's just how I walk through the first two thirds of the game. It's just missling things. God, no, that takes so long. Uh... Oh, yeah, no, no yeah, it does. It does take so long. <laughs> you get that. You get that early uh, trebuchet, and you're you're well on your way. You put a couple of those high rank LRM fifteen plus pluses on a trebuchet, and you can just literally yeah. disassemble light and medium mechs from a distance without ever seeing them. I think it's fascinating that you say magic powers and magic items because all that stuff is one hundred percent immediately familiar to me because the majority of my experience with BattleTech is in the tabletop role playing game where right. stuff like manufacturer and pilot abilities came to bear all the time. Interesting. Yeah, the the later role-playing game, that was not a thing that we got. I was really just the tactical games and then turning those into role-playing. So I, I did, I remember the NARC Beacon, and I think that came in uh, not in the base set. I think that came in not quite the Clan Wars, but like the in-between years. Uh-huh, um, yeah, we're talking like uh, 3050 yeah, or something yeah, like, like that. The, yeah, like the 3035 technical manuals, that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue, but I remember, like, that was a needed fix in some ways. Like, I'm actually really glad they did indirect fire this way in this game mm-hmm. because, like, if you remember the board game, LRMs only fired at a normal modifier if you were seven hexes away. Exactly yes. seven. If you were... Six or lower, you started eating penalties the closer you got to your target. And if you were at eight hexes, you were firing at long range and also eight penalties. So, like, LRMs, like, as cool as the catapult was with its, like, dual LRM-20s mounted on its shoulders, that thing was a freaking, like, it was a total aesthetic statement that you were sending you were like aha <laughs> yes watch me cast these storms of lrms uh and then you'd watch and like the things were impossible to get to land and when they did um lrms don't do shit for damage so it was a it's a needed fix that they're uh, at least valuable here but i still like, I'm, I'm kind of amazed that y'all are using lrms so extensively uh as real damage dealers because for me their purpose is um so every time in BattleTech you target something with an evasion point on it uh hit or miss you are taking one evasion point off of it and so for me the lrm's primary function to date is like there's my primary target and then if somebody has multi-target for instance which lets them engage more than one target at once uh, i'll just throw a flight of lrms at somebody uh, just to take off an evasion point so that somebody with real damage weapons can get in there and take a good shot. Uh, so that's very much the function they, they play in this game for me because like every time I've tried to play like standoff battles, like just trying to play footsie with PPCs and LRMs like at long range, eventually I just, you know, I'm dancing around, dancing around, and then somebody just like you know, <laughs> thwacks me in the face with a PVC or something, and like a pilot gets melted, and I'm like, okay, I probably could have, I probably should have gone mm-hmm. in on that. I've been using the LRMs to knock Max down mostly. I think that's that's the most use I've gotten out of them beyond just the the long range, you know, poke damage. Um, but if you manage to get like a full flight or two hitting an enemy mech, it's going over, and then you can go stomp on it. And that's that's been my main thing. Is like I. 
for most of the mid game, I've had a dragon set up to just go stomp on things and short laser it, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, it's it's interesting that we have the the different tactical use values from these things. I think that's probably one of the one of the 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 strength of the game. Um, one of the sort of the criticisms I have, or potential criticisms, is I'm not sure one of the. Tactical games like this, AI is is always going to be a problem, and also like there's a number of issues. And this 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 podcast has talked about generic design issues with tactical games, and I don't think that this one really solves any. But one of the things that sort of strikes me is how uneven the sides are, especially in the early game, right? And and it's almost as feels as though the the game knows. That if you were to take equal equal tonnage and put it on either side, that you would just roll over it. And in the early game, especially, and up through the mid game, it feels like it just throws in like a handful of vehicles to deal with it. They're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna throw six striker LRM SRM tanks in here, and that's gonna be some extra point of damage, um, which I found frustrating. But it's also one of the reasons why that the the LRMs are useful because those tanks only have like one or two places that can get hit. So you can just wipe them off the board without any effort. I think that the random mission design is one of the things that could be tweaked here because they get some of them that are just, you know, waltz over it and some of them where mm-hmm. you've got, I had like three missions in a row where I was at the heavy medium kind of intersection. I had two of each in my, in my squad and I would land, and there would be a roughly equivalent uh, enemy lance there, and then uh, they'd get reinforcements dropping, like, right in the middle of the battle that had, like, three more heavy mechs. And I'm, like, four against seven, with, and out outweighed at every, at every point, and, like, just got three of those in a row, and almost, you know, ran out of money because I had to keep quitting the, those missions. Um, and then after that, I've had a fairly easy time with it. And before that, I had not necessarily an easy time, but I had, you know, the ability to usually do each battle and only occasionally withdraw. But uh, some of them, it just seems like the reinforcements drop in way too and, and way too difficult to point. And, well, uh, it, so it's, it's not this... clear to me whether or not reinforcements are bugged right now. Because... Yes. Exactly. Okay. I'm not sure either because uh, I saw um, a friend of mine complaining that, oh, yet another mission where the reinforcements are on the map at the start. That's the only way I've seen them operate. Like I just uncovered. Uh, yeah, them. me That's, too. I've seen them happen like that a lot, and then I've also like I've seen a lot of missions where the reinforcements are clearly on the map immediately moving at me, and then at the very end of the mission, literally as I get the the mission end, like I'll get the mission end communication from something, click continue, and then it'll be like reinforce enemy reinforcements have just appeared. Um so there's definitely something wonky. There's some bugs going on there. Yeah, I, mm. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, no, it happened to me this morning, which makes me think it is a bug. I totally I just thought the way this was working was they were stashing other mechs in a corner of the map that you could uncover, but would respond to mm-hmm. you when you showed up at the waypoint. I was like, okay, that's how this game is operating. But this morning, I completed a, like this morning, I basically went in reverse order. I wiped out the reinforcement lance of mechs, and yeah. then I went and I killed the primary target mechs. Um, and the moment I did that, 
I got the all right proceeding. I can just pick you up. Op four is wiped out. Wiped out the dropship inbound, and then right after that, I get uh, your XO Darius. Uh, he cuts in and is like enemy reinforcements inbound, and then the mission ended. Yeah, yeah. Which makes me think yeah, something so glitched. I, so I get that all the time because 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 I I also feel like the the mission design is not particularly dynamic. Um, or, or at least the position of the, of the, of the, of the enemies. So, um, I typically will say like when you, you start off every mission, not in combat, which I think is clever because it sort of speeds stuff up. I think, um, I think it needs a little bit of work because I'm not, I still don't know. I don't, I don't feel like what they expect you to do is the most tactically sound. So they'll they'll take your fastest mech and they automatically put it on sprint and then if it triggers then combat starts but that person that triggered it is going to be really far ahead so it's actually kind of better to sort of like creep yeah. forward your slow mech but that's the pace yeah but that's neither here nor there what i do at that time is i just like run the deepest flank you possibly can find out those support people nuke them and then move into the center and that pretty much has allowed me to to, to be I, I i can pretty much just walk through most most battles the problem i'm running into with that is sometimes the support is so ridiculously overpowered compared to what i'm carrying like yes there was a mission where it's like ah there's a light enemy scout lance out there we want you to ambush and so i'm on my way to scout where they are and then on the way i uncover a full lance of like four heavies and hmm. I'm in mediums and lights and right. I'm like, well, this is nuts. And the minute I start fight, fighting with these guys, that original Lance also shows up on the edge of the battle to help. And now I'm completely overwhelmed. Um, and so for me, that tactic does serve me well, except in those cases where it's kind of like the game is set up to say, okay, now you lose. But if this is bugged, what I think is supposed to happen uh, and what I think is a much more interesting situation is that you start fighting with the light lance you're supposed to fight and then heavies appear on the map and you have to wrap this up and extract before they get to you. But right. I didn't think the game ever operated that way. I was just assuming that because I saw no evidence uh, that it was bugged. But now I'm starting to wonder. The times yeah. I've seen the game run that way are in the assassination and extraction missions, which are relatively rare, but they're super cool. And I have had that experience where I'm like, okay, it's an assassination. I build a lance of fast mechs with long range weapons. I pop in, I obliterate the target and I run away, right? Immediately extract. Um, I've had that experience where clearly there is a lance of backup mechs that are supposed to show up and they're way more powerful than whatever it is you're there to kill and its bodyguards. Um, same with the extraction missions. Um, and I've had a lot of fun with those. And if that's how every mission is actually supposed to be operating and this is a bug, these missions are super cool. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it's always a bug, but yeah, there there are points where I have had that kind of, okay, I've I've taken out the primary target and need to get the hell out. And that's great. I, I, want, I want more of that. But a lot of them just seem like, all right, here's seven mechs. You have four but yours are a little better, so good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I I think that sort of plays out with with the the game. Each mission can I can typically either end by you uh, extracting out of a like reaching a point, like doing a doing a specific task, blow up a building, blow up a, a mech, 
and then getting to a point and extracting or by wiping out everything on the board. And I would say 95% of the games I have, that's how it ends. The only exceptions are take and hold, um, take and hold missions for me. So to step out to the macro a little bit here and talk about, uh, I think we all really like this game, but it is very messy. And, you know, that's that's where I am with it. I think that it, it's great. Um, I am unable to stop playing it. Uh, but there are a lot of bugs and a lot of weird quirks to mm-hmm. it that are, uh, you know, hopefully patchable or fixable with expansions. But um, we, we've got a game that's got... it's it's a It's a mess. It's not quite... I'm not having quite as bad luck of it as I did with the vanilla XCOM 2. Um, but a lot of the problems are very similar. Um, I have like particularly long loading times, and I'm at about a 20% crash rate on mission. Like, it, at wow. the, at the, I had my first crash point, today. And I yeah, oh, yeah. So when I never crashed. Interesting. So when I go to launch mission, the screen in between your your macro level i'm looking at my ship to now we're in the sort of mission briefing and there's loading that's at about a 20 percent crash rate um and and i also in order to like just you know i i can run some pretty like i i'm i'm using my developer laptop which is an absolute beast um and i've just basically turned everything down because the amount of of stuttering and tearing and hiccups and just sort of like issues it has with all of its sort of like uh, presentation and cuts is is you know I I wish I could just get rid of it. There was a mod for XCOM two called "Don't Waste My Time," which sort of eliminated a lot of the presentation stuff. And I wish we had something for that because there are sliders. And they don't seem to do anything. Yeah, the, I I have not had quite the level of graphical issues that I have seen people have. Um, I have a weird thing where when I load the game, most of the time, the first time, like I get this weird flickering with like a Steam pop up that comes up. It's some, hmm. some sort of interaction between Steam, and I have to like use the keyboard to quit because the mouse doesn't work, and then go and shut down some Unity display thing manually, and then load the game the second time. Um, it's just a slight annoyance now that I figured out what's going on, but it's, you know, just a weird thing. Um, the load times are a big issue. I've seen some people saying that there is a memory leak that needs to be plugged because it definitely seems that the longer you play, the, the uh, longer the load times get. Um, also, alt-tabbing seems to make it grumpier, um, <laughs> which is bad for those of us with ADD. Uh, but, like, I still love this thing, mm-hmm. which is, despite all these this this messiness, um, uh, the slowness that I mentioned, some of that is just in the, the sort of way the camera works sometimes when you have a, um, especially when you are moving a unit and not really doing anything except moving it, it just sort of follows that for five seconds, and I don't want, I don't want that wait. I want it, that unit to have been moved and then something interesting to be happened, but uh, it doesn't seem to quite get that. But I, I feel like, you know, in three months, hopefully this game gets a lot smoother. This is so fun, because with the exception of a single crash this morning, um, literally the only problem I've had has been that sometimes I can see the seams and the terrain textures. 
Like that's literally all that has happened to me. Uh, uh, interesting. Another, another one is that it takes like a minute to load the Argo uh, visually on the main menu. Um, that's so, hilarious. Yeah, that's 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 a real fun time every time I I get out of a mission. Uh, just it just sort of chugs along for a little while before I can actually click on things with reasonable wow. success rates. So hearing y'all describe all this, it sounds like everyone just has it. Like the game overall is just sort of generally poorly optimized for a variety of hardware because like the problems you're describing are different from the problems I've had other friends describing. And they're also different from the problems that I have. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's very much like, I don't think anybody can make any guarantees about how this game is going to run. Like uh, Julian, uh, our, our old friend Julian Murdoch, uh, I don't think has been able to play because for no, him, he has crashing on launch every single time. Wow. Yeah, uh, when I got the press version, you know, it seemed to be especially bad initially, and then they had two big patches like across the first week leading up to launch. So I think I think maybe it launched a little early or something, but it, both of those patches seemed to help the the speed of it a lot. Whereas I absolutely hate to be this guy, but both of the patch, patches during the pre-release period um, introduced bugs for me. <laughs> so so I don't have any have I. I I have some acquaintances at the studio, but I don't I don't have any inside particular information. But they are running on Unity, and um, one of the things with that that engine, and this is because I do work frequently with it, is um, they did update. So there was a, a, a relatively large Unity update, a new version, and. There are some things, especially um, stuff the way that it, it interacts with Steam, with the ways that it interacts with the GRDP, the new like uh, data thing laws that have passed in the, in the EU, um, and so like it could very well just be that like what we're seeing is a, an update to a new version of an engine that for a small team they can't possibly go through every sort of PC like issue. And so if it is that, if it's that issue of like when it's a combination of you're using these drivers with these, you know, cards or whatever the case may be, and you're using this version of unity that is not even harebrained scheme that needs to do some work. It could be unity. And so I, I, I think what I, what I'm trying to trying to get at is, is these types of things that I've seen before typically get resolved with time as long as the game uh is still being being updated and i think it's been received quite well so i i have a very like positive image of how this game is going to move forward well, and the harebrained model with Shadowrun at least has been a lot of follow-through support and expansion uh so like yeah, I'm, I'm hoping this is going to be because like i have a long wish list of like Oh, this would be cool if I saw this new thing uh, in in this game. We should talk a little bit about uh, more than just like release quality, but like the the macro look at, at what you do in this game. Because I think something else I find interesting, and maybe why I haven't objected to some of the weird difficulty spikes uh, that you find, at least with the semi-random missions, 
is that part of the fantasy of Mech Warrior was always like the best Mech Warrior games were the were the ones where you were a mercenary company, right? Like yes, one hundred percent. The coolest characters in that universe were always mercenary uh, pilots. Like the core fantasy of BattleTech and Mech Warrior is you're just a bunch of you know buccaneering freelancers going and fighting wars for hire, uh, and one of the core elements of that is knowing when to cut and run and basically like sell out your employer or betray them because it's no longer cost effective to try and win. Um, and that is an interesting wrinkle here because so there's with each mission, you actually have a couple degrees of uh, you, you have a few different outcomes that can, that can happen. You can, you can win uh, or you can get, like defeated or you can withdraw but when you withdraw it can be a bad faith withdrawal uh where you don't get paid and you take a dent to your reputation or you can have a good faith uh withdrawal where basically you've done your best and you've made a creditable effort to try and accomplish mission objectives and the client is satisfied and will pay you at least a portion of what you're owed but you don't get the mission success and certainly not the full value of the contract, which I think introduces an interesting element here because I think this is something that XCOM has struggled with. XCOM wants to have a dynamic campaign where it has you know ups and downs and such, but a consistent issue in both XCOM games, particularly XCOM 2, is that you do have a really thin margin of error before you start entering failure spirals. Uh, especially as the game's sort of power curve and progression curve uh, progresses sort of regardless of what you do, and you're going to hit these level checks at certain points no matter what. Uh, Battletech is trying, and I think sometimes you can see it sort of succeeding, at creating a more granular uh, series of outcomes where you need to be thinking in each battle about whether it's even worth trying to win at this point like there's which is an interesting wrinkle because so many tactics games are about no you need to you need to complete the objective or you're completely hosed you're going to lose so many resources uh you're going to be behind i like this idea that in BattleTech, you need to be constantly reading the situation and occasionally you need to have the good judgment to recognize when a situation is just going against you and the responsible thing to do the smart play is to just call for the dropship and run like hell, which is very cool and something I'd like to see more games do. I just wish I saw it working a little more consistently in this version of Battletech. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess sometimes. Um, and speaking of the mercenary fantasy, uh, Battle Brothers had that kind of thing. You could go into a mission right. and just be like, "Nope, I'm out." Uh, that that's that's a really a really good feeling to be able to have when you when you say like i understand what this game wants out of me and what this game wants out of me is to run run the fuck out of here uh it so um the other thing that i really like about what battletech does that it has you constantly thinking about like your long-term versus your short-term games is that when you negotiate your contracts you can choose to either get paid in money or get paid in salvage mm -hmm. and money is often like the short-term thing that you really want to do in the early game because you're just like constantly trying to stay one step ahead of payroll um but 
when you get comfortable at all and start building up the salvage, that's where the real money is because you can get you get mechs that are worth you know four hundred thousand space dollars and sea uh, bills. Yeah, and just like if that's as much as you would have gotten paid. Plus, and you get you get like one and a half of those permissions, so you're getting extra stuff. Plus, you're getting all the guns you could sell at whatever point you want. Um, so, like figuring out going into a mission which one of those i'm wanting to do is like an extra little bit of investment and like the ones where you go for the salvage and you see that the enemy has really good mechs now you're trying to shoot the legs out from under them so that you can get extra salvage um i and i did that on one of the big plot missions uh the one where you start getting the heavy and assault or the assault mechs um so uh I came out of that with two assault mechs, one that you get from the plot and one that I got from just managing to uh, take out two of them and one of them was reasonably intact, so I picked up those three pieces of salvage. Now I have two assault mechs, and like this is, this is a really interesting way of handling the, the issue that these games have where a mission is just kind of the thing you have to do, but now you're, you're like invested in how the reward is going to treat you. Yeah, it's not like XCOM where what you're going to get out of a mission is pretty unrelated to what you did during the mission, right? Your yeah. reward is directly proportional to how you played the mission. Did you get that lucky called shot to the head with a AC-20 and just blow the pilot right out of his mech and now you've got a perfectly serviceable uh, brand new shiny assault mech? And did you have the uh, forethought stuff, to stuff take like that salvage really rifles matters. out of the money? Yes, yeah. very much so. It it does fall apart in the, the later game, I think. Um, most of these do. This is not like a huge dig on Battletech. Uh, all, all the tactical management games try to manage this particular thing. And uh, uh, when you get your Argo, your main spaceship, upgraded so that you have a bunch of spots to put mechs and a bunch of spots to put your pilots, um, and then you're getting missions that just keep you rich uh there, there's not much of the the metagame pressure once you hit about the two-thirds point which is unfortunate but i think it's something that could be fixable either with mods or uh difficulty options or just telling yourself you know i'm not going to upgrade upgrade the argo uh and let's see what happens um because i think that that's where a lot of the the it relieves a lot of the metagame pressure without adding new metagame pressure when you get to this point um the missions are still fun and difficult but the uh the point that i was at in the early mid game where i was like all right if i don't manage to succeed at this my company is probably dead so let's hope that you know this is a doable mission and i, I had two or three of those and those are you know edge of your seat kind of things um but that that at this point, I'm just sort of doing stuff to get experience and, and biding my time until the plot missions. But I think I'm like two or three plot missions away from the end. So this is very late in the game. It's a long game, too. That should probably be mentioned. So what metagame pressure are, are you talking about? Because that, that is, I think, one of the things that I, I find the, the weakest is, is the, 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 the strategy layer. Well, so if you are taking the time to go and flank everything and blow it up with missiles and never get scratched, you're probably not going to encounter that. And um, that's is it, reasonable. Is it, like, is it money? Is it like, is it yeah, it's money. Oh, it's, it's, okay. it's money and time. It's, it's you, you know, you have six mechs, three of them are in the shop. You've got a payday coming up. Do you take out one of those busted mechs? Do you try to 
finagle it as best you can those sorts of decisions mm. um but yeah, yeah. It's, it's generally that uh the money is hitting the payday thing is the is the big one okay but it, it can also be that's slowly happening as all your pilots and mechs are in the shop because I, I I think what I what I want is is a couple of different things is 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 I want um, some sort of uh, external pressure um, that's outside of the 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 money upgrade loop um, some sort of existential crisis or or something like that um, and I also want that to to make to to play into why am I taking the specific missions? And I think a lot of that, um, like there's a lot there, there's like reputation and like alliances and stuff like that, but none of it was made particularly clear to me. I'm still fumbling through, I'm still learning. Um, but why am I taking a specific mission? Um, right now for me is boiling down to difficulty level. Mm -hmm. Is it in the system I'm currently in? How much does it give? Um, I'm not really paying attention to the the terrain because, frankly, heat hasn't been much of an issue, and terrain mostly affects heat. But that's neither here nor there. But I I, I want something else. I want something to to present goals and give me a reason why to pick one thing over the other. Have you guys found a, a reason why? So, so no, this is one of the things that I think they should do as they expand and patch the game. Is that I would love to see. Um, the, the random missions that you get have, like, um, more meaning than that. Um, if you get ones that are, like, two or three strings of missions, especially if you have to do those missions one after another, so you can't just heal up and take your best mechs out. You have to, like, plan, okay, I have to spend half of my good mechs here, half my good mechs there, that sort of thing. And then get a narrative reason attached to them. Like, you you go and investigate something in one place, and then you find out what that thing meant in the next mission. Like, the, that, that feels like a really obvious uh, place for this game to go. Because right now, no, it's, it's just the mechanics of, is this good salvage? Is this near? Um, that sort of thing. The, the only other thing I've noticed is that, um, for example, really early on, I recognized that one of the major factions has a shit ton of worlds that have the, the little tag that's like Inner Sphere Legacy or Star League era um, tech. And I made really good friends with those factions because I realized that their their worlds are very often selling like pieces of an assault mech or advanced weaponry and so i sort of have a spot on the map i can always go back to when i'm shopping and i'm like oh man you know i lost the arms on a couple valuable mechs last time so i lost their super cool upgraded weapons i'm gonna head back over that chunk of space with all those useful worlds and see if i can replace that stuff um yeah but in truth i think everybody sort of wants what rowan has just described out of this game right now mm -hmm. I, okay i feel like the, the star map could use I don't know, a little more dynamism as well, because I have found that in general, I can and probably should just stay in the uh, restoration slash directorate areas. Um, that's where the contracts that are built up to my level tend to be when I have like tried to look for such things. Um, so like the reputation doesn't matter that much because the restoration loves you because you do their missions for them constantly and the directorate's not gonna going to give you any mission. Um, so, like, the, the idea that I could go and, like, engage with the other uh, uh, political entities 
has not been relevant to my game and it has not needed to be relevant in a way that I think would have been interesting. Um, and I think it's that, there, but I, yeah, I yeah. think that that's part of the design, part of the design goal for this game. It seems like was that, um, they wanted to let you be like, I just want to be a mercenary. I don't want to do this main quest very much. I'm just going to go mm-hmm. do my own thing and sort of sandbox around fighting mech battles. It seems like that was part of the design goal, though that part of the game is very deeply underdeveloped compared to the the primary quest, right? The, the main missions, the main storyline, and the yeah. main areas of the game. There's a certain level of proof of concept to the, the sort of main mission, like showing off what they can do. Uh, that That's sort of what I feel about this. And uh, Rob mentioned that Hairbraid has supported their games in the past, but we should also mention the publisher is rather famous. Uh, Paradox is for dropping expansions constantly, and I think that should be very good for this game, although if the engine is... If the engine issues are not what David described, and it's, it's pushing Unity to its limits, um, then that might not work so well. But if they are, as David described, and it's just like a, a weirdly timed Unity update, then that may be amazing. So and let's I, hope for that one. Yeah, and I also can't help but wonder if it's going to be more like... Um, in the past, like when Harebrain did... Shadowrun, they released the original Shadowrun game, right? Um, and then they pushed a second game pretty quickly um, with a lot of upgrades and updates and new material. Um, yeah. And that was an entirely separate game with a separate campaign. Uh, so I wonder if that's more what they'll do. Yeah. Um, uh. I will say that I think. In some ways, the financial pressures actually work better if you're not doing the main campaign stuff, like if you go and live mm-hmm. that mercenary life. Because the story missions uh, do two things. One is that oftentimes they will give you an injection of new tech. Uh, you know, oh, part of this mission is we, you know, those heavy mechs you encountered, uh, you know, you can salvage them now. Or we're just going to maybe we'll just give you one. Uh, but the other thing is they give you large chunks of cash that let you basically stop worrying about your operating expenses. If you walk away from the main campaign and start living contract by contract, the economy actually works a little bit better and the you know profit and loss from each mission seems much more fitting to what the story suggests about your mercenary company, which is that you're always kind of one step ahead of your creditors. Um, but the main campaign makes your finances and that sort of you know upstart scrappiness uh, the startup mode aspect of your company uh, go away very, very quickly. Um, but I have so something that happened with me is that I ended up restarting right after uh, this really difficult mission, uh, the the first Smithen mission, uh, which is I think one of the first missions where BattleTech is kind of showing its hand for what the rest of this game is going to look like. Uh, because it is just a mission that's sort of designed to be a meat grinder uh, for your mechs. It's it's very hard to get through that one without getting the crap knocked out of you. Um, but I ended up restarting because when I updated to the uh, public release build off of the reviewer build, uh, my saves all vanished. Uh, the other oh, day dear. they finally showed back up. Uh, so I have that other campaign. Uh, I don't know what limbo they were in, but now they're back. Uh, but in the meantime, I'd gone on a really sick Battletech run. Like, suddenly this new campaign, I was just like, 
I was salvaging new mechs like every single mission. Like that that first mission where you get the where you rescue the Argo and take out uh, the the pirate queen Grim Sybil. Uh, I basically took her out like with a one shot like to, one shot to the head and got the quick draw that she pilots, which is a, which is a sixty ton, uh, very nimble, heavy mech. Uh, I got that like basically at the start of my campaign. And that sort of set a tone for for the run I'm on. So I'm actually now doing a lot more of farming contracts and building up my forces uh, because I'm sort of in a good enough position. I'm bringing good enough mechs out there where I'm able to tangle pretty effectively with almost anything I encounter uh, on those missions. But it does sort of seem like if you end up in a cycle where your best frontline mechs, and this is where I was definitely at after Smithen, if you end up in a cycle where all your best mechs are undergoing really expensive repairs, a lot of your pilots are in the hospital recuperating. So you're sending your B team out in the middleweight tier mechs that you, you had before. Uh, I started running into real problems where every single mission I was taking was, I think, much more dangerous than it was initially supposed to be because a lighter mech is just more subject too bad bad luck uh in a lot of cases and so i was i was having these interesting missions where it felt like i really needed more heavies but unfortunately i was i was piloting mediums and lights but the problem is it was also hard for me to find missions that were suitable for the mechs i actually had uh so that was an odd dynamic the section around smithin is where you you get that i don't i don't know exactly what it is about that uh difficulty step um but like i could do three skull missions super easily but 3.5 skulls would like overwhelm me i i that, that's the point where i quit the three missions in a row uh, because it was just so overwhelmingly difficult and then i had to like figure out where to go in space to try to do a couple yeah. missions to build up before i think that was when i was trying to uh build up before trying smithin again because that one is probably the toughest mission in the game uh so yeah that there's a weird difficulty spike right at that point and it's it's not immediately clear how to like go and work yourself through it uh, i tried to go to like two and 2.5 skull planets and they just didn't have contracts so uh it was it was weird yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. I think that difficulty spike does show up right around the transition from medium to heavy mechs. Uh, and I think that it's one of my frustrations with this game in comparison to past Battletech ta tactical games is that the medium and light mechs don't have the niche and role that they do in the other in past Battletech games. You're sort of very much rewarded and you want to run the heaviest mech you have at all times. There's no direct reward for like having a light on the field doesn't give you a cool sensor advantage and lights don't have the the speed factor that they have in other battletech games that really gives them a lot of a use when fighting bigger heavier mechs um and that's a little sad to me right like the cool combined arms aspect of larger scale battletech games very much isn't in this because no matter what you're not going to field more than four mechs Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. Right. Like, like that, I, uh, it's, it's, I, I understand why it's like that. Like it's, 
the sense of progression while you're while your mech warriors do gain skills and do level up the degree to which that determines your victory or even the degree that that determines your tactics when compared to the battle mechs themselves is very minimal and so the the sense of progression in the game is is i think entirely connected with the 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 weight class of the mech and if they were to to push to try to push the the light mechs in a certain direction one they're going to or the meteor mechs they would have to either create additional restrictions that would uh force you to take things like that or create unique features of missions or maps or some other way to incentivize you to to taking the lower armor value the lower damage per turn and if they do that, then that somewhat undercuts the idea of, well, what, what am I trying to do? I am trying to get 400-ton mechs. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough problem that I don't have a great solution for. I think, for me, what I'd like to see is just... It's a little bit of a brute force solution, but it also, I think, is pretty thematically consistent. Like, in this world you can't send assault mechs for every single mission. Like there are scenarios where like, look, we need a recon lance to go into this area because like, for whatever reason, that area of operations, is just too big. You can only bring, if you're taking this contract, you're only bringing your light mechs out to play. Um, and that's why these forces exist. That's hard to do in these self-contained battles where it's basically just a giant arena uh, that you're theming around, uh, you know, some sort of military mission. But you can't actually create the actual use cases that cause uh, different types of military forces to, to get fielded. And so I think it would be cool if just like, look, there's a recon lance mission out there that's really, exp there's, is really high paying because it's very high risk. You're going to be putting good mech warriors into light mechs and God knows what you're going to find down there. But it's worth going and playing around with that. And I think this game could support that because I have been impressed with some of the, um, again, like semi-random missions that you get. Like some of them are really cleverly designed. Uh, Austin and I both had a really cool uh, alpine-based defense mission that faked both of us out in different ways uh, and got us to commit to defending basically the entirely wrong direction uh, in this one mission. And we ended up like scrambling to uh, sort of recover control of the situation and effectively defend this base. Uh, I had another mission where it was basically an assassination of, um, you know, an old retired mercenary. And, uh, you know, that was... I played it a few different times uh, because I became really hellbent on doing like a perfect run of it. What was cool is each time I played it, the forces I was encountering were substantially different. Like there were probably a half dozen distinct ways that mission could play out uh, and what you'd encounter on it. And each time really changed how you wanted to play that, play that scenario. So I think the mission design in this game could support the kinds of scenarios where you're being forced to use not your best mechs. They just haven't put that in. And so you're just a fool if you don't bring out your heaviest mechs. And maybe maybe the exception you make is like, well, I do need one jump capable one just to generate evasion points. Yeah, the 
speed, I think, is the easiest way to do that. If you design missions where speed is important, then that Highlander that you get halfway through the game is no longer your best mech every single mission um, because it is incredibly slow. Um, and it, this happens sometimes with the semi-random ones, like the assassination mission. Sometimes the, the guy that you're trying to blow up, as soon as you start scratching him, tries to hit an evac point. So now you need to chase him down. Um, and, you know, maybe the Highlander is, has a nice clear shot that he can throw his missiles at, uh, but maybe you have to just run around all the hills that you see in order to get that clear shot. And I've had some of them that are very easy to deal with uh, um, just because the map is a certain way, and some of them, and I've had ones where they get away because I'm just not in a position where I can actually give chase. And, like, that that's one way to do it, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I, another... I, I... I think that I think that those are great. Um, you would have to know that that's the case before you go in, which yeah. I don't particularly think the game does a great job of of really like highlighting like these are the likely forces that you're going to. This is the sort of scenario, and so we'd have to see some improvement there, which I really think is something that we could go there. Um, I think another way would be would be sort of solving one of the problems I had earlier, right? Right, which is this idea of like. Um, Rowan described this scenario of him needing sea bills and having to get in this, de- and he called it like a death spiral, right? Of like having to bring in subpar mechs into these things. And now it's the other way of like, I feel like too often in this game, um, or maybe it's like exclusively, is I'm deciding where and when to engage. Um, and a game like XCOM and XCOM 2. Um, that isn't always the case, right? Like sometimes there are the terror missions. Sometimes there were the retaliation missions in XCOM 2, right? And and your A squad has just gone, and you now have to bring in your B squad, and that that brings in some some tension. And so one of the ways that I think would be interesting for them to expand on this is adding some sort of external pressures, making it so that like you're invested in a particular system or invested in a particular planet and now there's a force attacking you or now you need you have to go or you're going to lose something that you care about and you're doing that while your assault mechs are in the shop yeah i think you're absolutely right to say that some strategic pressure would be good and even if it's not mandatory missions, it might come in the form of missions that forced you. They're like, you know, you're going to get paid twice as much, but mm-hmm. you have to do this mission in the next five days. You have to do this now. That's actually probably right? a better way of doing it, right? You you provide a carrot of, uh, like you were saying that there were those those planets that had like that 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 you know that that high end technology, right? Like put right. that carrot in front of the players, and you know, right after they finish a mission where they just took a pounding, pop a mission that says. You're gonna get this, you know, this awesome AC twenty, but you're gonna have to go in with your fifty five tonners. Um, right. I'd like to see that. But that, as you were saying, though, that would also require a little more information up front uh, about what the what the enemies are likely to be or whatever. And this is something that the plot missions do. Uh, you get a couple of ones where they say like, "You're gonna want some indirect fire on this one." That's the Smithen mission that we've been talking about and yeah you're behind a hill the enemies will just tear you up if you go over the hill so you want that indirect fire like it's it's very right to do that and the, there's one right before it where uh it introduces the the srm carrier tanks and says you'll probably want to uh long-range sniper 
uh, mechs on this mission. And yes, you very much want your long-range sniper mechs on that mission. So it, it's it's getting that with some of the plot missions. And uh, the plot missions are generally well-designed, although uh, they do have some quirks. Um, but some of the random ones, it could use a little bit more uh, information on that in order to get the point where it's like, okay, I'm comfortable bringing my medium mechs on this because I don't want my big mechs to get destroyed. Uh, and some of that is because strategic pressure is a very, very difficult thing to get in these games. Um, we mentioned XCOM has uh, way too much strategic pressure. It's it's a problem. Um, Darkest Dungeon has no strategic pressure, uh, although the just abuse. Yeah, the, the Crimson Court expansion adds some, which is part of why I don't like it. But it's it's all the pressure is on the individual tactics. The Battletech is trying to to get some strategic pressure, and uh, I think if it had too much more, especially in the early game, that could be really off putting for people who don't play as well as uh, David does. Uh, but in the late game, it definitely needs way more once you get fairly comfortable with the Argo. Uh, it needs something to make you not be comfortable. Um, and that that can be a carrot as well as a stick, and the carrot might be a better way to go about it uh, because that, that sort of leads to the mercenary idea of, like, you really want this one thing, but is it going to be worth it? Um, and that, yeah. that's the decision that you should be trying to make. Yeah, I, I, I think I think the the end result of this, and, and I think for all the criticisms that I had, I want to make it really clear is that you have a you have a, a developer that has a history of working with these products that they love. Uh, an acquaintance of mine, uh, Kevin, is on it, and this is like one of his favorite things. You have a publisher that has a history of supporting their products. I think what we have here is a product of love that is likely just a very good platform. As long as the the technical issues get resolved, I think this is something that we're gonna see supported for the next couple of years. Um, I really can't wait. I think it's it's a really exciting uh, sort of change. Uh, it's filling a hole that that I think we've had in, in uh, this landscape for a while. Yep, that, that's where I'm at. It's, it's hitting the, the, scratching the itches that I have of, um, I've mentioned this a few times, but I really like games that kind of push you to uh, cycle through sets of units or players or coaches or uh, people or whatever. And this does that with both the mechs and the pilots. And uh, it, it's just like exactly what I wanted it to be when I did the previews, um, with the exception of, you know, the bugs and stuff. But it's it's getting at getting at this subgenre that I like a lot in a way that is feels uh fresh and built for what what my goals with it are. John. I think I absolutely agree. Um for all for any and all reservations I have with this game, the truth is that it appeals to me very deeply and it there's something very satisfying about seeing that like oh shit i came out of that mission really well and none of my mechs are that badly damaged but four of my pilots are injured now and i need to bring in the b team and i need to use these characters that i don't normally use and what are the strategies for these guys again um i like that i can have two different teams of pilots built very differently and the game will force me to use them um 
no other game in this subgenre is doing that right now. And so this is, this is the one to do it. Uh, and it is sort of like icing on the cake that uh, at the same time, it's got a very different play style than a lot of other games like it, right? It's got this sort of slugfest play style. It's got the still highly tactical. You still want to do your best and use interesting tactics, but no matter what, you're still going to be beating the crap out of each other a bunch. And that's very different from most other games, right? So I'm I'm very satisfied with it. Yeah. Um like it's tough for me to be detached about this one just because I do like love Battletech stuff so much that this one is kind of perfectly targeted at someone like me. Uh but yeah, I think I have probably fewer reservations because it succeeds really really well at the things i put like the highest value on it feels like a great mecha game uh and a better one than than i expected uh in a lot of ways what i want from this point forward is is largely kind of wish list items uh the, the sorts of things we've we've already covered and then again like probably some ridiculous hopes for what the future of this might look like right like what uh you know where the strategy layer uh could go or what kind of mercenary slash court politics you could end up playing uh you know as you try to you know navigate with your company uh through two sides of like a major war between factions that's stuff that i really look forward to seeing hopefully in in future expansions and updates to this uh but what i've got right now is something that reminds me of my favorite aspects of a war game that has sadly become kind of out of date um and now all the best parts have been updated and made easy to access uh and i'm just really thrilled about that uh so for me battletech is is a pretty huge success and an unexpected one in many ways uh go on the last the last thing like a little teeny teeny tiny detail I want to be able to uproot a tree and use it like a club. That was a big yep. thing in the board game. That was like that. Like there, there was a couple of like the melee combat needs a little bit. Like I want my hatchet man. I want my axe man. And I want to pick up a tree and I want to slam it into another mech. Come on, guys, make it happen. Yeah. Stomping on tanks is so fun. Yeah, so fun. Yeah, and it makes me want them to add aerospace and infantry right yeah. now. Like, I want the full depth of of units that were. Well, in I'm, oh, man, and I'm sure we're going to get a clan invasion with elementals. It'll be oh, great. No, take a long time. Like, take your time getting to that though, because like the clans are a cool plot arc, and they generated probably some of the best like novels about BattleTech ever. But from a game design balance standpoint, they were a disaster. Like late <laughs> yeah, era battle sure. tech was literally just guys kicking each other in the nuts with Gauss rifles. Like that was a battle. It was like, all right, like it's all my extended range PPCs versus your Gauss rifles. Uh, and we literally need nothing else. Um, so yeah, like I, I have like, I love the clan invasion story arc, but man, does that need to be sort of reconsidered and retuned, uh, before it's sort of reintroduced to this universe. But my God, I love the idea of like, you know, for an exorbitant price, you can buy and maintain uh, heavy air support for your company. That would be dope as hell. Yeah. Um, and I would but, love yeah. the ability to deploy infantry and stuff like that. I, that would be very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So high hopes for the future, but uh, what 
what we've got right now on hand is 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 pretty excellent. Uh, so it sounds like it's a pretty universal recommendation for BattleTech, and uh, we're looking forward to more. Uh, that will do it for this week. We'll be back, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Adult Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for David, for John, and for Rowan, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. night.